service. What is up, listeners? Welcome back to another episode of the Full Service Podcast. I am Tank Smith, your host. Today is episode 62. Thanks for being here. Shout out to my guest from last week, Domina Delilah Bliss. Delilah, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. That was so much fun. If you have not yet, check out last week's episode. Make sure you're following Delilah. She is on Twitter at mrian19. Her website is dominadelilashears.us. I have a link to both her Twitter, her website, and the Libsyn page from last week, so make sure you hit that Libsyn page. Show her some love. As always, you can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, at FullServicePod. I am at TankFunkadelic. If you enjoy the show, if you like what we're doing here, make sure you hit that like button, that follow button, that subscribe button. You'll be alerted as soon as a new episode drops. Ratings and reviews really do help for visibility for the podcast, so if you could, hit us with a five-star rating, write us a review, that would help us out so much. Today, episode 62, so excited. My guests are partners, Portland-based pro-doms, companions, Riley Delacroix and Cameron Beaumont. We recorded, I guess it's been like a couple weeks ago, I think it was like the uh, week like right before Halloween, so it's been like three weeks ago, but I'm so excited for y'all to hear this. We discussed their start in sex work in rural New Mexico, moving to New Orleans, being in a relationship and working together as partners, moving to Portland during the height of lockdown during the pandemic, how being pro-doms influences their companionships, and why sex work is so needed during the pandemic. I, this, I enjoy this conversation so much. You can follow Riley on Twitter at RileyDelacroix1 and Cameron. She is at CameronBPDX. Their website is girlfriendsexperiencepdx.com. I will have a link to their Twitter, their website, in the Libsyn page from this week. So make sure you hit that Libsyn page. Give them a follow. I'm going to stop talking. I really hope you enjoy this interview with Riley Delacroix and Cameron Beaumont. Thanks. Welcome back, listeners. It's Tank Smith. I'm excited, so excited for today's episode. My guests today, they are partners, Portland-based companions, pro-doms, Riley Delacroix and Cameron Beaumont. Thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having us. We're really yeah. glad to be here. Heck yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we can make this happen. This is awesome. What, uh, you're based in uh, Portland, right? Yeah, we live in Portland now, formerly of New Orleans. And then before oh, okay, that, sweet. New Mexico as well, and we worked in all of those all of those places. Oh, nice, awesome, awesome! Can you remember the first time you think you heard of sex work at all? I think we've all heard of sex work. I feel like we've had to translate the idea of sex work. Like I heard of whores, I heard of prostitutes, I heard of hookers from the time I was a child. By the way, I grew up in Nevada, where being a hooker was legal nice. and still is. And I fucking love all those people who do that work. It's, it's amazing. I remember driving past brothels as a child and being like, you know, somebody in my family would be like, Oh, that's the hooker. That's the whorehouse. That's the hooker joint. And it was so weird. And I was like, what happens in there? What, what are those women doing? And it was so shamed, right? It it never translated to me being like, this is what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> but it was it was still fascinating to me even when I was like eight years old in the back of a car. Yeah. 
I'd say for me, it was a little different. Like, I think for most of us, like our first exposure to it is through media. And it's often like, often like a misrepresentation. Like it's like pretty woman or some bullshit like that. Um, but I think my like real time exposure to sex work, like as both a vocation and a calling was, uh, you know, I, I basically became an adult in San Francisco and which, which was much more sex positive. There was places like the lusty lady and places like that, that were cooperatively owned women and queer owned and things like that. And so I think that's through queer culture and through feminist culture was how I first kind of came into the idea of sex work being both work and something to be respected. How did you like start? How did you get into sex work? How did you start in companionship? What's your path into it? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, for both of us, it was like being in a relationship, being sex positive. What what we found is we found ourselves in like really rural America one day. <laughs> the best place had, to be. <laughs> yeah, and we had like minimal income, even though we were both highly educated and had come from big cities before that. We tried to move out into the middle of nowhere just to be like ourselves or to try to find ourselves to be closer to be closer to nature and land and all these things and then we realized oh shit um but we can't make any money out here yeah except if we drive miles and miles or hours and hours and so i think the first thing that happened was one day i was like hey Riley, did you realize that people could sell dirty underwear on the <laughs> internet? That was the first thing. <laughs> that yeah, was the yeah, first yeah. Thing. That was the first thought. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you just have to understand, like, it's, you know, and I feel like a lot of people are really feeling this right now with the pandemic and stuff like that. Like, we're both highly educated, highly skilled people who have held multiple forms of professional positions. And just the way the economy is structured, where we were living, like we were chronically like underemployed and it, we were just like, like no matter how hard we worked, like under the current system, like we just kind of couldn't make it. You know what I mean? Like we felt like we were on a hamster wheel, just like everybody else, just trying to make ends meet. And so we sat there, you know, in rural, at this time in rural New Mexico under this beautiful fucking mountain. It was just like, you know, the, the most amazing sunsets I've ever seen in my entire life. And I've been all over the world. And we were just kind of like, what are we going to do? You know, like, I don't want to keep endeavoring like this. You know, what skills do we have? Like, what other things could we do to support ourselves and support our future? But also that would be like fulfilling and fun. And then like, you know, Cameron came up with this idea and then it was like, wait a second, like we're already like kinky, adventurous people. Like what about sex work? You know, and it was it was really Cameron's idea first. And I kind of came into like a lot of curiosity about it. Um, but that's kind of how it started is this sort of like the system's kind of fucked and like we want to have a little bit of autonomy over our lives and like we want to do things that we enjoy that we feel brings like pleasure and healing to people i feel like that's such like a like that's a just like a powerful decision to like i guess change the direction of your life and say i want to go in a new direction and just like create have such an impact on people i think it's awesome yeah i mean 
politically right now, it's, it's such a tumultuous time. And especially if you're a person who spends a lot of time on social media and the social media that's like surrounding sex work and queerness, we talk about swerfs, which are sex work exclusionary radical feminists. Oh, yeah. Where people who believe that people who get into sex work are only people who are desperate for their lives and would die otherwise and are subject to capitalism and are only doing sex work because they're desperate and otherwise their life would be terrible. What a popular storyline. It's fucking terrible. And that is not the reason that we ever got into sex work, even though like any swerf out there in the world could have like swerved our story already. Um, Yeah. We were living in the middle of nowhere and we had limited opportunities to work but we are both highly educated people and we chose we fucking chose to not ride the capitalism wave we could have drove three hours to go to work and make a minimal amount of money to put a roof over our head or we could have sold dirty panties or we could have become (laughs) pro doms or we could have become full service workers like we are now and we did that in a choice because we realized that a lot of a lot of the time during the initial times that we were full-time sex workers we were also working other jobs but then we would come home from our like full-time jobs and be like um okay this doesn't make sense yeah, why could, would I we do made, that <laughs> I could I could have made the same amount of money that I spent all day at, in my office like in an hour with somebody been a lot more interesting and to fulfilling, like, fulfilling and to like learn about somebody else and help bring them pleasure or authenticity in their life for an hour. I feel so like it's, it's it's like not a yeah it's not a it's not a, it's like why would I not do that? Yeah, yeah, it, it's like I feel like I wish I could line up like every single person who questions, though. Sometimes desperation creates sex workers like even if you take the sex worker part of it, like desperation creates innovation and necessity and all these other things. This is how we evolve as human beings. Right. That's where it came for us. It was not desperation created us to be walking the streets and being slaves to a terrible patriarchal system it was actually us being like fuck this system actually and we are worth our weight in gold and people believe that because they see us and they value our time and they value the service that we give them fuck yeah did you start out did you start working in new mexico we did yeah it was a lot more difficult there though like we said we lived really rurally and then most people who come through new mexico they either go to albuquerque or santa fe and those are still like santa fe was like an hour and a half away albuquerque was like two and a half hours away like it was really difficult to uh to make it worth the time and the effort of like commuting down to these places to make it convenient for a client um i mean we did live near like a popular tourist destination so seasonally people might come through but we started in new mexico 
that was like kind of like our prototype, if you will. But I would really say that the vast majority of our sex work experience before we moved to Portland was in New Orleans, like much more of our stories and us finding ourselves as sex workers and growing and evolving was really it's a story that's set in New Orleans for sure. How was how was New Orleans? It was uh, amazing. It was rough. It's it's New Orleans is an incredible place. There's no place like it. And it's a very difficult place, you know. How is New Orleans? I like to call, <laughs> I like to call New Orleans like the karmic accelerator. It's a place where, you know, there's this friend of ours, a spirit worker, he said, you know, New Orleans, she's the city that's built on the dead. And you know what she does? She shows you all the shit that you haven't looked at and you either turn and face it or it consumes you. Damn, and that's, that's powerful. That shit is true about New Orleans. And uh but it's also a place known for like um, openness and like you can go and you can like do stuff that you can't do other places. Like there's a there's a beauty and a permissiveness about New Orleans where like, you know, you can just kind of be whoever you are and people don't give a fuck, you know? Yeah. How is the I imagine the sex work community in New Orleans is a lot different than rural New Mexico. How is that? How well? How well, how was that difference? There is no community in Rome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't even know that there's actually. I don't want to say that there's no community. I, I know that there's no community in rural New Mexico, but I sure as shit like question whether there's even other sex workers. It's like that. It's it's that bad. No. This is the reason why when we would drive three hours to go to Albuquerque because we were at that time literally the only people doing pro-dom work oh wow knowledge in the state of new mexico like unless they were i don't know advertising in the newspaper or something but um, (laughs) when we went to new orleans part of that reason was actually connected through a sex worker community we knew as sex workers in new mexico that we needed to have community and to be able to support one another we we had come into sex work in like a very educated way and knowing our our safety boundaries and stuff that like we might get into talking about a little later in the podcast but like it was not filling our it was not fulfilling our heart um but when we went to new mexico or when we went to new orleans we showed up in new orleans and almost immediately the sex worker community there just said come to this potluck for sex workers and we all just hung out and we shared stories and we laughed and we said oh maybe we could do duos together oh wow you guys are doing really great work okay wait what's your twitter handle how can i follow you like it was so beautiful and to this point and, and I don't want to say uh, we we just haven't gotten a chance to meet anybody in Portland because of um, we've just moved up here and uh, it's COVID and everything is online. COVID. <laughs> I can at least acknowledge that the sex work community in New Orleans is on par with the social spiritual way that people feel in new orleans it's like you are home everyone accepts you everyone's got your back and you always have a place to go and you always have someone to call that's awesome someone to dance with in the street i wish i had somebody to dance with in the street it's hard to find that person i mean (laughs) 
Yes, because you can find a whole bunch of strangers. I mean, or come to Portland because we've been in New Orleans. We'll yeah. play. We, we we will play some speakers, and you can come dance on our lawn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we do it all the time. Fuck yeah, we bring yeah. a lot of New Orleans. We brought a lot of New Orleans culture with us to the Pacific Northwest, and it. At first, I mean, it as it said, we we arrived here at the height of quarantine. It was like hard quarantine when we got to Portland. And, you know, like everyone, we were trying to figure out, like, how are we going to stay sane? How are we going to stay well, like around all the anxiety and uncertainty about what was going to happen? And like having come from New Orleans, like it was like, well, you know, if you don't know what the fuck to do, you you dance or something. We'd like blast some big brass music on the lawn and go fucking dance out on the on the lawn and just like trying to bring that spirit of like okay we can't be together like in the ways that we're used to but we can still like be together and we can try to celebrate being alive despite things being real fucked up right now you yeah. know that's awesome i feel like fuck yeah everyone's like oh they moved from new orleans they got that fucking big brass playing that's uh, yeah that's a lot of fun yeah it's um and so yeah like we we really look forward to getting closer to the sex worker community here we've met some folks we've had you know socially distanced hangouts on our lawn and stuff like that and there is a lot of like there's a very like developed mutual aid community up here especially for sex workers and so you do see like across social media, like sex workers helping out other sex workers. Cause like, you're not going to go and get unemployment money no. for work. You're not going to get special pandemic assistance for sex work. Like all we have is each other. And so, you know, we raise money to help people pay for their rent, to help them with toiletries, like all their basic needs. It's tight knit. Like I think anywhere you go, it just has a different flavor in different places yeah yeah we we can't wait to lick the flavor of portland sex workers in all the way way. um because luckily for us when we fell into new orleans we fell into this like soft nest of people who were super like you know we were living in a different time than we are now and people were like great come over let's meet each other let's do things together and it's a, it's a being in the south i think you know this being in atlanta being in the south i don't know how much time you've spent in the pacific northwest but it's a totally different culture than being up here oh yeah and i've, ne- I've never been to the pacific north i want to go come on up yeah. we'll give you a discount yeah <laughs> we'll be here but it's it's a totally different emotional and social culture here then being in the south like in terms of flexibility and, and just openness and and warmth warmth like yeah. there's there's a sweetness about the south that you know that's why you could walk up to anyone's porch and they'll give you sweet tea it's like that's yeah. the thing right um and it doesn't happen here it doesn't like the culture up here is different and i'm not saying that about the sex workers i'm saying it about the overculture yeah because i think all sex workers regardless of where they live are extremely interconnected and badass i had like recently to give an example like of something like this like just so you know all you clients who might be listening to this podcast like sex workers have their networks sex workers 
have each other's backs regardless of what fucking city they live in. And if you give a reference, we have each other's backs. And I had a recent client who screened really well and just sent me an email like in a pretty last minute way and said, Hey, I want to meet up with you. Here's my two references of people I've seen. I'd love to see you like in within a couple of hours. And I texted both of those sex workers right off the bat. And I said, Hey, have you met this person? They said, they know you. They said, they've seen you. And right away they said, yeah, he's a nice guy. He's really cool. I've seen him a couple of times, like have fun. Enjoy, oh, yeah. You know, and it doesn't matter where you live, but it's also like strange to be in a different overculture than we were in, in new Orleans because I mean, especially moving to like at the height yeah, of COVID, absolutely. absolutely. it's, yeah, it's like you're moving into like a, a shutdown, a shutdown area. It's like, it's not alive when it, like it was, but it's like, it's every, it just changed a little bit. For sure. And we've had to take other precautions, obviously, you know, and take time between clients, offer COVID testing. Like it's just the, the, the landscape has been completely changed beyond you know any of our control and so all of these things are things that have to be taken into consideration that weren't a thing before you know before it was just safer sex practices and like keeping yourself safe legally and physically but it's it's more than that now you know like everybody's got a different sense of skin in the game you know but The thing that I would say that's really unique and significant about this time is that everyone is starved for touch, is starved for intimacy, is starved for pleasure in this time. And like that, like level of isolation and like lack of those needs getting met, like I feel like we talk about this a lot about how like that's going to kill more people than COVID, you know, in the long run, you know, and so we feel okay about continuing to do sex work, especially during this time, because it's so needed right now, like even more so than before. Definitely. I know there's like people that work at home that have been used to interacting with 50 people a day. And now it's literally their computer. And it's like, I need that human interaction. I need that human touch that I'm not getting at all. Yeah. And you being able to provide that is it's amazing i mean i had a client recently who like he another human hadn't touched him in like six months like could you imagine like not being touched for six months and it's just like it blew me away and it was like it just like it was so clear what an honor it was to be like trusted with that and that you know i could that I can fulfill like a very, very significant, essential and sacred human need for this person. Yeah. And especially like going so long, I feel like you like feel like you like know when people kind of touch you after having not been touched for so long like that. Like, I feel like I remember going on, like go to the airport and getting felt up like literally by a TSI, TSA agent. I was like, holy shit, nobody's touched my dick in so long. Like that's the TSA. Wow. (laughs) It's yeah. a thing. Yeah. It, it's it's like the other thing that I find really interesting about these times is like 
sort of dovetailing off of what Riley said was like, I think people haven't been touched in a long time. And so they're having to spend a lot of time with themselves and they're having to spend a lot of time with like, what is it that I want? What is it that if I risked myself for COVID or my family or who am, whoever is in my life for an experience, like what would that experience be like? And yeah. what would I be asking for? And that's a really big thing for us. And we're finding really interesting differences because like, you know, when we lived in New Orleans, it was sort of just like, well, I'm in town. We should have fun. Woo. You know, and now I I have a different story about that. But yeah, please continue. And now I feel like people are, in my experience, like being a little bit more discerning and and like the people who reach out to me and us are like, well, I haven't had any touch and I find myself really connected to you and or. I haven't had an experience where I've gotten to be with two people. So if I'm going to have an experience, I might as well be with two of y'all. Fuck it. Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> and it's like, you know, there, some people are going for intensity. Some people are going for intimacy. Some people are looking at like, Oh, maybe, maybe I'm queer. Maybe like I'm curious about trans people or, um, you know, BDSM or whatever. But like they're because they've gotten to had to <laughs> spend time <laughs> with themselves, they have to question like, what is it that I really actually want? Yeah. And what is it that I really actually need? And I think that like one of the beauty of these times is that people are having to like really ask themselves that thing is like, what do I really fucking want? right now like what do i need what do i want what am i craving what have i never had in my life and you know what if i got covid tomorrow i wouldn't feel sad about dying tomorrow because i got that yesterday yeah and we're finding a lot of like different ways in which people are reaching out to us because i think being in in quarantine and being in isolation is really like provoking people to be in a space where they're having to actually question what do they want have both of y'all had to do that as well where you're like thinking like what is what is the path forward or what what do i want to do certainly i mean well one thing i wanted to riff on just that was i agree with cameron completely about this being like a really unique pivot time where people are really evaluate, like both self-evaluating, but also evaluating systems in our in our world, and how is our world actually going, and how could it be different? I know for me, um, this is, and especially in New Orleans as a trans person, I got a lot of clients who who were much older, you know, and okay. it was kind of like they were kind of like got to that age where they're like, you know, I've been thinking about this for twenty years, and what the fuck am I waiting for? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, or like even, even young people, like I would have young, young guys who like maybe watched porn or something and they were like, I'm not sure I'm into it or not, but like, I want to find out. And I, I deeply respected both of those like classes of people who are like, I'm going to give myself an experience so that I can explore my authenticity and 
you know, some people were really into it and they're like, wow, I'm so glad that I finally did that. I don't know why I waited so long. Or like I had some people who were like, yeah, I'm glad I tried that. I found out it wasn't my thing, but I'm glad that I did it. And I was like, cool. Like, I'm glad that I got to help you figure that out. You know, you Fuck can yeah, that's awesome. You know, yeah. you didn't have to like try to go meet somebody at a bar or some shit and like have some awkward experience. Like you literally got to have the experience that you thought you wanted and then you got to evaluate how it worked for you. Yeah. And that, that, that felt really good to me. You know, like it, what we do, like even though it can be pleasurable and thoroughly enjoyable and interesting for us, it's still service. I mean, we are there in service to people's sexual and sensual authenticity. And if their authenticity is like, I tried that and it wasn't for me, then like, great success. Yeah. You, know? you found maybe, out a little bit more about yourself through me. Yeah, you tried something new that you had no idea you'd ever be into. And you like found out that you were real fucking into it, you know, like success. Great. Yeah. You're just like helping people find out more about themselves. Yeah. We, we, we're in the business of celebrating people's authenticity. Oh, and yeah. fuck all the time. Yeah, we say fuck all the time. <laughs> yeah. I do we're well. full on potty mouths. <laughs> That's the best way to be. That's the only way to be. Coming from New Orleans where you're like already established, kind of like going, moving to Portland, was there any fear like in terms of like, is like, Am I going to have the same, like, same number of clients or people going to be receptive to me as a provider? Was there any fear of that moving from New Orleans to Portland? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because we had moved from Albuquerque down to to New Orleans from New Mexico, um, we sort of knew the game. Like, at that time, we didn't really know how to do it in advance, even though we knew we were going to move there in advance. And so coming up here, we planned this move trip, et cetera, prior to quarantine happening. And so we were like, okay, we're going to put out travel ads. We, we like, we had been doing the work long enough to know that we needed to, so you were at, you were advertising in Portland like a long time before you moved. Yeah, we we had trajected ourselves into a, in a certain way saying we're coming there and here's the dates, etc. um and but then we still got here and it was like walking around like a dystopian ghost town. Yeah, ghost town like Okay, cool. Um yeah, we just spent like 7 hundred dollars on like traveling ads and uh still like no one even looked at looked us up because everyone was hiding in their house and yeah walking down the street yeah it was a real loss weird we were gonna you know because we had planned sort of when we were originally going to move up before the coronavirus really hit you know we were going to kind of do a meandering like work trip like we were going to do this road trip oh nice through the South, through Texas, through Colorado, through New Mexico, through Idaho. And like, we were thinking about like, well, what if we meet, met people there and did work there and like, you know, offered something that's not usually on the table in these places. Like this was the original plan and all that obviously went to shit, you know, like we had to, you know, New Orleans, <laughs> we, we were reading the news and it was 10 o'clock at night one night. And we had plans maybe to move the next week or so, next two weeks. 
and we read in the news and we realize, holy shit, like New Orleans is slated to be the next epicenter of the virus. Right oh, God. In New York City, it's like, we got to get the fuck out of here. And like, like we were gone like three days later, you know, and like sleeping in the back of a U-Haul so that we didn't have to go into a hotel. And like we were driving through the south and we were the only people wearing masks at gas stations. And it was just <laughs> a really trippy fucking time, you know? Yeah, yeah. Our here. our tour was off. Yeah, it went off. It, we didn't, and we didn't get to cancel it. <laughs> it was just <laughs> off. We 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 uh, planned and advertised for a tour through Houston, through Dallas, through Denver, through Boise, and then immediately it was like, nope, canceled. No. We're just going to Portland and we'll figure through. out from there. <laughs> We're just getting through. Just and just like everybody else, you know, like we found ourselves in a strange and unpredictable situation just like everyone and just kind of had to adapt and do our best given the circumstances. Yeah, I feel like everything changed for everybody in a couple everything changed for everybody in a couple of days. Absolutely. And then, and then people just had to fucking adjust on the fly. Like what the fuck? What the fuck is this new world? Well, I guess we got to do something. Yeah. It's not going to stop. And we're still doing that, you know. Like but we talk a lot and use a lot of. I, you know, we have great concern about the trauma that is in all of our bodies as a result of this experience. And not, and that's just not. That's not just like the chronic lack of touch and physical intimacy and sexuality, but like we are starting to fear other people's bodies you know, in a way that we didn't before. Like we were watching a movie that was made, you know, in the nineties or something. And the person was like, a character was like standing over another character, super close and they're looking at a computer screen. And we're like, holy shit, you're too close. You know? <laughs> and it was like this creepy, creepy sensation of like, oh my God, like I get to, I get to touch people for money. And yet that's still in my body. Like that's in all of our bodies. Like, so we're going to need so much somatics based healing as we come out of this as a culture. Yeah. Definitely. And I think sex workers play a very special role in that. Oh, 100%. Like without a doubt. Cause people, I mean, people are going to need connection and you're not able to get that like currently and who knows how long and it's like the only way is through sex work or other like i don't know therapy but it's hard right now without like human connection absolutely absolutely and and, and you see it you know people's i see people's spirits wither yeah i've uh i've done a like i guess a, i've mentioned i guess in portland so there's a strip club lucky devil lounge Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that did a like drive-through strip club. I've mentioned right. on the podcast a few times. Yeah, I mean, there's there's more strippers per capita in Portland than there is in any other city in the country. So, really, even more than Atlanta. Yeah. Atlanta's a strip club yeah, capital. Yeah, yeah. Hail the sex workers! There's more strippers per capita in Portland. More strip clubs per capita in Portland than other any other city in the U.S. Yeah. That's and incredible. They're organizing. Yeah, yeah, they're organizing and they're like very social justice oriented. Did you happen to go to the drive through strip club? We did yeah, not. not okay, okay, cool. <laughs> we, we, oh my God, what it's today. Uh, so Thursday, so Lucky Devil Lounge, they got it uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, it's called like, I think it's called like Hell to Go Go. 
Yeah. There's so they're like the drive through strip clubs coming back Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, like literally this weekend. I mean, I guess we gotta go, go because Lucky Devil Loud, well, did you gotta drive drive through and they got like, oh my god, it's amazing. I, <laughs> you guys yeah. actually live there, so you could go. We could. And both of us love strippers. We love sex workers of all <laughs> of all identities. We danced burlesque when we were in New Orleans, which is different than stripping. Um, but we also had a shit ton of stripper friends there. And it's just, it's totally different work. It's totally different work than camming and being full service workers. It's different than being pro doms. But that's the way in which like we support each other is to actually support each other. Yeah. Yeah, so I can't say I've ever been at a lot of strip clubs in this town, but I've lived here a bit of time, and um, I'm happy to drive through and have someone rub their titties in my face because I think it's I think it's like it's I think there's a six foot distance, but I mean it still would be great. Y'all should I don't care. <laughs> Y'all should definitely go. <laughs> How is it being in a relationship together and also working together as like work partners? I think it's um I think it's a real gift. Uh I have super deep respect for people who are in in relationships with sex workers and not sex workers themselves. Like I think that's pretty pretty impressive and difficult to do because being a sex worker and being in a relationship with a sex worker like you know you know what it's like. You know, yeah. like you can come back and like you talk the same language, like you might have had similar experiences. You can really hold space for the other person, celebrate the other person, like laugh about like fun and crazy shit that happened, that sort of thing. And then like working together, I mean, you get like paid to fuck fuck your partner, you know, like that's pretty cool. That's really cool. That's yeah, that's more than pretty cool. What you know, and it's like like we we did a last minute double session last night, and I was just like looking at Cameron. I'm like, God, you were like the hottest fucking person I know. Like it's just like it's just so cool to be able to do that. And you're like, and I'm getting paid, and I get to like help this other person have a beautiful experience and like enjoy this person that I respect and love and admire. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, I would say the one the one difficulty that we had or, or that we've had around it at different times is like there's been different times when one of us has been a, in a position to work more than the other. Oh, okay. Like a certain imbalance that has shifted over time and like has come and gone. And, and you know, it can be hard, like it can be hard on like the self-esteem or like, you know, I don't know, like if you're the one staying at home while the other person's going a lot or vice versa, like there are different emotional challenges that come with that. And it's an opportunity for a lot of like shadow work as well of like, why do I feel this way? Or like, why am I resentful? Why am I jealous? Or why do I feel sad or depressed? Or yeah, you know, like there's it's an opportunity for learning more about yourself and kind of delving into those emotions. Did you both start work like around the same time? What's your, I guess, did y'all both start around, like, I guess, insects work together separately? What was your timeline, I guess? We both started like joking back to the panty, dirty panty story. <laughs> P.S. Do you want to buy our dirty panties? Because they're always on sale. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> but we have this like really dynamic relationship where I tend to come up with ideas and Riley tends to help manifest them. That's and a perfect combination. It, it's a perfect combination. And so, I mean, if we're looking on a technical timeline, we probably start at the same time, but um, do I think Riley would have ever been a sex worker if I didn't say something first? Probably not. <laughs> They'd have probably just gone <laughs> on their way. Um, and, and but like it's a great thing because that's the way in which like we work as a couple is like hey um should we be pro doms because we already are kinky people and someone might pay us if we're pro doms and we're really good at what we do and we're really respectful and that's how we started out and initially i was doing a lot of the work just because I don't know, maybe the culture of New Mexico. I don't, I don't, I don't really know, but we spent a lot of time before we even endeavored in sex work at all, researching and making sure that we understood how to be safe because so many safety issues around being sex workers. And I think that's honestly like why we chose to be pro doms first, because we actually weren't trading illegal things for for money yeah yeah it's legal right yeah. it's illegal to beat someone's ass for money but it's not legal to fuck someone for money yeah, yeah. And, and uh so yeah we had to that that's why we chose to be pro doms for several years yeah yeah i give total credit to cameron for kind of being the kind of the inspiration factory if you will, both around this and around a lot of other like co-working endeavors that we do. Um, they like get kind of get these really great downloads. And then we talk about them. We're both like, yeah, that's a fucking awesome idea. And then like, I kind of come in and be like, okay, well then how are we going to do that? You know, like what does that look like to actually like make that or how do we want to make that? I mean, you need an idea person and a logistics person, you know? Yeah, and Cameron certainly did a lot of logistics, too. Like, a lot of the research around screening and around safety and all of that stuff. Like, Cameron's really good at finding information. I'm really good at creating things and building relationships and finding connections. You know, Cameron has amazing aesthetic you know, and we just kind of would go back and forth and, you know, all of our, all of our stuff is self-made, you know, like we made our websites, we like made connections and got our photos. Like we do all of our own writing, like everything we put on social media is, is us. Like there's nobody writing shit for us or anything like that. Like we are as, as, as authentic as possible in how we present ourselves because, we want to be in sex work so we can be ourselves yeah. and we connect with people because we are us. And like, we want you to be yourself. We want you to be your fullest self. And that can only happen if everybody's authenticity is on the table, you know? Yeah. I feel like people pick up on authenticity and when they feel that from you, it's like a real, like they connect with that. It's a real thing. You know, like we, we've heard a lot of stories. Basically when people get in the room with us, either individually or collectively, they're just like, like, what the fuck, you know? Like, cause yeah. anybody, and I don't, I don't know, like, 
I don't want to put anybody down of any kind. Like, I have no judgment about like folks doing sex work for whatever reason they need to. But there's a difference between like doing it and like not wanting to do it and like kind of having to do it to survive versus like this is also a calling and I feel really passionate about this and really creative about it. There's a whole completely different atmosphere to both of those experiences. And also like if it wasn't clear we're probably like the latter of what Riley said was like we are people who feel extremely passionate about this work and we don't have to do this work we could go get jobs that capitalism would kill us over but we choose to do this work every day and we also do a shit ton of work to advocate for and send money to people who are in this work because they have to be and Mm -hmm. or who are harmed in being in this work and who are victims of trafficking and all of the things in which prevents decriminalization of our work yeah it's so hard to explain and i i wish we had like a table for three hours like in the Supreme Court, just so we could explain sex work to all of the people. But the thing is, like, all we do is care for people and we meet their needs. And sometimes we don't even fuck people. Sometimes we don't even touch people because all we need to do is be in the room with people. And, you know, other times we fill people's deepest fantasies of their entire life so that they could literally die and feel like i checked off my whole bucket list see that's fucking special like that's fucking so dope yeah (laughs) that that is it is fucking awesome and also there's a lot of people forced into and or doing sex work not by their own volition and it we we owe money and give money and advocate for ways in which those people that get targeted by swerfs like we talked about in our previous conversation previous conversation and and then we get like bubbled into the whole thing of like all y'all are just people who are just only doing this work because you can't do something else I could do something else. I can damn well tell you I could get a job tomorrow. I just choose not to because I fucking love the work that I do. And I love how I can take care of people. And I love advocating for and showing up for people alongside Riley and alongside my queer community and my sex work community. And it's beautiful fucking work. Yeah, I want to give like some examples of this. Like, for example, you know, we danced burlesque in new orleans uh just as like a pastime it was kind of fun like yeah it does like kind of feed into the work and kind of like can get kind of performative and fun but like you know when i when i did my number you know they give tips if you're not familiar with burlesque culture like you give a lot of like people in the audience give a lot of tips you know okay as you're dancing and like strippers like you're stripping because it is stripping it's performance and it's stripping and it's just not in a strip club. It's at like a performance space or, or a bar or something okay. like that. 
And, um, you know, I had them announce that like all of the proceeds for that I was going to be given for my dance or for my number was going to be given to an organization that that supported black trans women of color. Like that's what that night was for. Yeah. Cameron and I have pinned tweets on our Twitters where like in my case, I tell clients like, I will give you this percentage of a discount. Oh my, (laughs) I saw that on your Twitter. I was like, holy fuck. That's amazing. Yeah. If you show me a receipt saying that like you donated to black lives matter or some similar organization, some reparations-based organization that is like fulfilling a social justice mission, like I will give you this percentage of a discount because that's what I can do as a white person who owes reparations and who wants to contribute to social justice. I mean, Cameron has a similar pin that, you know, you can speak to for yourself. And yeah, mine is like, I, I developed mine like when right after George Floyd was murdered and we were all in crisis. It was almost immediately after we moved into Portland and we were trying to figure out our sex work situation. And my, my pin still stays the same, even though like maybe our landscapes changed a little bit, like our landscape has changed the same, but like other people's hasn't. Um, and it won't for a long, long time. It hasn't for a long, long time. Yeah. But, um, mine says, Hey, because a lot of people had at that time had to move on to video content, had to move into, you know, OnlyFans and whatever. Yeah. Uh, I said, I will shoot a porn with you. I will let you take pictures of me. And if you are a black person, if you are BIPOC, you take all the credit for it, however much money it makes. Like I'm willing to sell my body for you. And if you're not, if you're, if you're not a BIPOC person, we agree to donate all the proceeds of whatever content we come up with to donate that to some organization that is actually like helping BIPOC families, people, etc. This is great. I feel like uh, if this were to happen in the sixties, Black people wouldn't be able to vote definitely sooner, for sure. You can do like every person, you know. As for us, you know, you know, as white people with privilege, like we have to be thinking about like what do I have access to that other people don't, and how can I contribute? And like, you know what, like finances and monetary, even though like we don't have a lot of money, but like, like that's a really needed resource to actually get change done. For sure. Like this is what I can do this month. Maybe it'll be different next month, but this is what I can do. Does it feel any different living in Portland? I know they've kind of had like this, uh, like protest going on pretty much since like this George Floyd stuff has happened. How is it living? I guess is is I guess does the is does the news portray it any differently than it is in terms of like the heightened sense of like like I guess tension in Portland? Do you feel that at all? I th- it's hard to say because we only live in Portland and we don't know what the rest of the news is saying, but we did spend multiple weeks under what we call helicopter duress. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Where we, 
we will admit we we did not choose to go to the front lines of protesting for various reasons in our life. I mean, but I would we, fucking y'all wild in Portland. I wouldn't be doing that shit. I mean, but I mean, we did. I've, we I've we ran. Before, yeah, but... like it's not like we were afraid of it. Like there was just certain circumstances in our life that we couldn't do it. Um, but we ran uh, recon evacuation missions and other things so like we were involved in the protests but we were not like the people getting tear gassed and yeah i mean everybody everybody does what they can do you know it's like we were the people driving our car because a lot of our friends who were protesting didn't have a car didn't have a way to get out of downtown once they were tear gassed and feeling terrible so we literally rode a car that was full of like candy and water and tear gas abatement into downtown picked people up and drove back across the river oh yeah that's awesome um, and that and then that's what we did on our days off and so we were trying to do our best to support it but like yeah we 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 didn't we weren't downtown and uh but i mean somebody has i mean that's that's so that's awesome though Everybody does their role. Right. You know? yeah. like, we all sure. have a community. Yeah. Like, I feel like Cameron and I, at this point in our lives, like we are, we're, we're the people warming and stirring the soup when you come back from doing yeah. that line work, or we bring you in, we take you out, or we, you know, we take, we patch you up, we caretake you, we heal you. Like, those are kind of our roles. Like, I've done frontline work and been at the front of protests and planned them and all of that stuff earlier in my life. And it's just, you know, you, you just pass the torch. Like, it's not yeah. everybody to be doing the same thing forever, you know, yeah. different roles. And nobody needs to hear our white voices anymore. You know, like, it's not... <laughs> It's not about us, you know, like we don't need to be behind any megaphones. We need to be putting like if we we're going to be on the front lines. We need to be putting like our bodies in front of black and brown bodies. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's what's actually asked of at this time. But um, but yeah, there was like just wrapping up around your question, like there's definitely there was like a, a profound sense of tension that went on for a long time. But, you know, we were talking to this guy. He was a. A tall black guy who worked for like the city of Portland and he was um he was working on a corner and our and we were just talking to him and shooting the shit with him and we were just like saying, you know, this is just what it's like in black neighborhoods all the time, you know? Like yeah. and all sorts of shit. It's just new to us because we've been privileged. Like we don't have to we didn't have to hear helicopters every night until four in the morning. But if you grew up in Compton you did. When I had friend, you know, I had friends who were from Inglewood and places like that, and it's like this is just what it was like, you know. Yeah. So I think it really just depends on your positionality. Like, yeah, there was like we have a very highly um, documented, like racist police uh, bureau. You know, Trump sent in federal officers all sorts of stuff and like you did get like a lot of heightened unnecessary escalation of tension you know that was really kind of coming more from the institutions and less from the protesters themselves yeah i mean there's been a lot of that in cities where it's like the protesters are protesting and then fucking shit comes down and then it's the police or whoever that are 
definitely, I guess, provoking shit more than the people that are peacefully protesting. Yeah, yeah I would yeah. agree. And, you know, that's no different from the 60s as well. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's... um. But yeah, I mean, it's just we'll be good. We'll 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 get through this, Joe. We'll get through this. I mean, we have no choice. <laughs> we have no choice. <laughs> like we're kind of here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like it's just we're just such a, at a time of crucial cultural shift. This yeah, it it really does feel like, especially like now with the election happening in like a few days, it's like we're on the fucking verge of like so much change. It's like so wild. And like yeah. no matter no matter who wins, like some people are going to be fucking mad, and some people are going to be like super happy. Well, the reality is, is like all of that tension that you're talking about, it lives in our bodies. You know, our bodies hold all of that, and yeah. you know, from the positionality of a sex worker, like if you can help someone to bring, if you can bring down their nervous system so that they can kind of peacefully self regulate. And like be present in the present, which, you know, the present is kind of fucked and kind of intense. Like that's a really valuable service to be offering people. No doubt. Coming from like a pro dom background and then like transitioning kind of more into companionship, is that affected companionship at all? Or like, I guess, influenced your companionship at all being a pro dom first? I don't think it has. Actually, I think that's made our companionship better we actually transitioned initially because, you know, when, earlier in the conversation, you asked us, like, how did you feel a way to, like, maintain safety? Or when you in, initially entered into sex work, like, what does that look like for you? We chose pro-dom work not only because we were highly skilled at it, because we've been doing it as a lifestyle BDSM couple for a long time, and we had a lot of skills around it, but it was also... Because we could maintain the power physically. Okay, yeah. But after a while, we also started getting into a lot of like, because what happens in BDSM is that like you start to many, many of our clients and, and we're actually like quite aficionados about fantasy work and creating stories and living stories out. So that that came into play for a while. But it was funny because one night we said to one of our friends who had like an MFA in theater arts and we were explaining what it was like to be a pro dom and or like a fantasy creator. And she was like, wow, you guys write the script. You're the actors. You're the directors. You are the executors. Whoa. Oh, my gosh. You're the producers. And I said and our only response is yeah like really said yeah uh uh-huh all in one hour we are artists Uh yeah we are artists and like we don't get regarded as that and like not that we don't have like it is probably the deepest part of our heart like if someone called us tomorrow and said i want to be yes session with you we would be so fulfilled and also like to have that be our full-time work became exhausting over time because we some days just wanted to be Riley and Cameron and not be mistresses. Yeah. Real quick, just to to piggyback off of that, like our movement into companionship, that form of sex work, like 
really revolved around this theme of like, damn, like Prodom is awesome, but it's a lot of work. It's a lot of prep. You have to maintain a certain role that like may not be actually like who you are or how you identify, like you're playing a role for someone else's fantasy. And being a companion means you get to be yourself. We just wanted to be ourselves. We're like, we could just like have fun and just be our natural selves. Like, why would why wouldn't we do that? And um, and what we found is that people would come to us as companion as companions, but then they would also be interested or they'd be curious about kinky stuff or something like that. They they just like got through the door in a different way. Like it was a little like they weren't ready to walk into a dungeon or something like that. Like that was like a little overwhelming to them. But like they might like say, yeah, I want to like do this sort of like sexy stuff, but maybe I want you to tie me up or maybe I want to do this or it's like, great. Been doing that for a long time. Happy to do that. You know? So it's like, it became, it became their doorway into being able to be more creative or maybe a little bit more vulnerable about curiosities that they had that they wouldn't necessarily have been like ready to jump on by going and seeing a straight up pro dom. I'm already coming to you for companionship. And then you already have that like Dom background. It's like, I kind of want to get into it. And then you're already able to provide that service. Cause you're so experienced. And I feel like it just like adds like versatility to what you're able to provide to like each client, you know? Right. Like when you're a skilled pro dom, the biggest thing behind anything in BDSM is consent. And even if someone said, oh, like, I see you guys have been pro-doms for a while. Um, sure, let me try this thing out. And then all of a sudden, they are like, whoa, nope, this isn't what I want. I- I'm bailing out. And they say no. The gift that they get from being in an experience with us is like for us to say, okay, great. And also, you're still here for 45 minutes, so now what do you want to do? Yeah. And and there's no judgment. And we will listen to them. And we will, we can try it out. And or, you know, maybe we spend another 30 minutes cuddling and then they want to try it one more time before they go. If it's an hour session. Yeah. But, um, you know, who knows? But that's this, that's the thing around skill in any form of like physicality with other human beings is consent and people who practice bdsm practice consent really well most often especially those of us who are who are professional yeah and and everything is uncertain you know like we had one client who thought he knew what he wanted And it was a pretty radical request. Like we had to kind of like sit back and be like, are we down to do this or not? You know, and he sent us like 60 emails. I swear to God, like 60, like one. He had this whole script, all this stuff, which we usually don't do highly scripted scenes, you know, like we find value in people being able to like let go and actually be kind of at the mercy of someone and like, like give up that power exchange. Um, But he had this very specific fantasy and, you know, we prepared for it. It took a lot of preparation we decided that we were down to do it. And then 
we started it and it was this elaborate role play and five minutes into it, it was too much for him. Like five minutes in, he like literally he safe worded by saying, I'm safe wording, <laughs> which is like, <laughs> you know, if you're if ever been to like a kink party or if you've ever been involved in kink, like you don't say usually you don't say yeah. Word. Like yeah. <laughs> you say red or you say bubbles or whatever the fuck you're agreed upon safe word is. <laughs> it's just this wild thing where he like totally bit off more than he can chew. You know, his eyes were so much bigger than his stomach. And like it, it was fine for us. We we're like, okay, like, yeah, like what you were asking for was like kind of a lot. And we were kind of impressed that like that's something that you wanted to do, but and we were prepared to do that for you. But now here we are with 55 minutes left. You just paid us a lot <laughs> to be here like what can we do for you to make this evening satisfying based on what happened you know because it's that's just organically what happened yeah but it didn't mean that anything went wrong it just meant that it was different than what was expected so it's like okay like do you want us to fuck and you can watch us and jerk off do you want to like cuddle do you want to just sit and talk you know, because a lot of people, companionship means a lot of things. Sometimes people just like need someone to talk to as well. And so it's just, we just never know. I mean, that's just like the not knowing of life. Like there's a Zen, a Zen saying where they say not knowing is most intimate. Damn. Yeah. And that shows up in sex work all the time. Yeah. Everything I would say. Do you feel like your views like on sex or sexuality have changed since starting sex work? I mean, I think our views actually like informed our ability to be sex workers. Maybe this is, I, I don't know. I've never actually asked other sex workers their truth about it. But like I was telling you when we were in New Mexico and I was like scratching my head and being like, hmm, we're kinky people. We have great underwear. What could we do for money? <laughs> <laughs> um, like it was, it was our sexuality. It was our way of being in the world and our ability to be polyamorous and kinky and all the things that informed our ability to say, Hey, like, maybe other people would find value in this. Maybe other people would say, Oh, wow. Look at these cool people who are willing to like offer their time and energy and companionship and, or will be my pro dom or whatever to fulfill my needs. And we were like, okay, cool. Hell yeah maybe somebody will recognize us like financially because of who we already are. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that like, it's one thing to like hold a principle. It's another thing to live a principle. And yeah. so like as people who are committed to autonomy and liberation in all of its forms and like practice kind of unlearning the various forms of oppression that all of us have inherited over hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, we practice that in our polyamory, in our relationship anarchy. We practice that in our sex work. It's like, yeah, like sex should be sex and pleasure 
should be readily available and as a human birthright, you know, and it's like, how, how am I actually putting like, putting my money where my mouth is, brunch. and <laughs> um, so like, I think doing sex work was a natural extension of our beliefs and our practices. It's just a way that we could bring that energy into the world more and like support ourselves in a material way at the same time. I also think it's given us a lot of like insight into the ways that different types of people are oppressed around sex. You know, like I think cisgendered white men are actually like some of the most internally repressed and oppressed people around some of this stuff you know like they're just so oh yeah to themselves yeah even though like they're 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 overt behaviors in social paradigms in general are the most oppressive but then they'll walk into a room with us and everything breaks down and so all we can hope is that the work that we do with them is that they realize they're human and they're not superhuman and that when they walk back out of the room with us that they maybe respect other people a little bit more yeah regardless of their background like you're just who you are and that's all you really can be and you gotta accept that and like you allowing them in, in in certain ways like i actually question whether people who request especially bdsm services that they just feel so guilty and or so repressed around the ways in which they could actually show up for other people that they need to come get their ass beat or get fucked really hard or get flogged for an hour or go through some age play recession thing so that they feel like they could walk out of the room because we never just like beat someone up or fuck them and like send them out on the street. <laughs> we do that and then we bring them back down to earth. Yeah. And I do believe that every single person we've ever taken care of, that we've ever been in space with, walks out of that room questioning the way in which they walk away and walk onto the rest of the earth. That's powerful. The thing that I would add to that is I want for me, like when I work with people, like I want them to like be able to have the experience and know that they could have it in their life outside of their time with me. You know, like, yeah, if this is who you are, if this is your authenticity, is this if this is what your body loves, like, I'm glad that you get to have that here. But how can we find a way? for you to actually have that freedom in your life. Like that's my, that is also my hope for their like personal liberation is that they could go out and be like, Oh, and now I know about myself. How can I be more of myself as I move through this world? And how can I better respect, you know, the authenticity of others as well? Just like allowing people to like find themselves and, I guess discover more, yeah, like more of who they are, what they like, what they don't like. There's not many experiences or people like, I guess meeting people to where you're able to discover that, but like you being able to then meet with you and you being able to give that to somebody 
I feel like a super special thing, you know? Absolutely. Especially if people come back on a repeated basis. When people come up to us and then we build a relationship, that's what gives us the opportunity to continue to work with them. Especially if we're talking about like a BDSM sense, especially if we're talking about white bodied people who are trying to overcome white privilege, white fragility, what have you, but having a relationship around because 99% of our clients are cis male white bodied people. Okay. When those people invest in a relationship that is a power dynamic, that is something that puts them down, that makes them check themselves, that makes them question everything they've ever done, everything that their ancestors have ever done, and that maybe after every session, they walk out of the room as a better person who looks around at other people and questions how they treat them. Our work means... 100% more than however much people donate to us. Because you're changing people for the better. We're changing. So like allowing them to change for the better. We're changing the world. Because if somebody walks out of a room with us and questions power dynamics and the ways in which you walk through the world and the ways in which you treat other people, the ways in which you could be potentially treated by people and you have the ability to say no and what it means to listen to the word no and stop, et cetera. Like, yeah, so powerful. That is so powerful. Where, uh, where do you see yourselves in like five years? <laughs> still Portland, Portland, you still in Portland? <laughs> physically, physically, who knows? I mean, where does anyone see themselves in two years, right? <laughs> um, no idea. <laughs> the world might blow up. I don't know. That but, asteroid's coming. <laughs> I think for me especially, and I think like Riley would follow along because it's much easier to be a madam than it is to be an actual sex worker. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I... And this, this work has always actually been weaved into the work that we've done. And it goes along the lines of social justice in the terms of weeding out the people who actually just want to be sex workers and want to be safe versus like people who are being trafficked yeah. or people who are working shit ass jobs and would be way better sex workers than they would be bartenders yeah. <laughs> to give example regardless of their gender there's a whole landscape and and we're already looking at that it's like because we've been in the industry for a long time because we know exactly how to keep ourselves safe and how to keep other people safe i see us in five years being in a situation where other young sex workers could call us up for refuge and or for advice and or maybe potentially pay us some sort of consultants consultants yeah, exactly excellent word excellent yeah. 
because we've been through it and we also like really care about them and we want them to be safe. We just want to keep everybody in the industry really safe and really quality and understand how people can get fucked over, etc. and not fuck yeah. And, and avoid that and do better and like how do you get photos and all the things. And so <laughs> um yeah, it would be us being like virtual madams to all the sex workers to come in the future in the next five years. Yeah. It's not unlike the analogy that we we were talking about, about protests. Like there's a certain time when you're on the front lines and there's a certain time to step back and let other people do that. Yeah. Provide a supportive role, you know, and there's many, many types of supportive roles. For um, sure. So as Cameron has mentioned, like training, guidance, eldership is a good word that I would use for it. But I also think like storytelling and like getting doing the advocacy work and like getting the world to understand like what value sex work actually has rather than stigmatizing it is really important. Um, you know, we've been kind of co-writing very, very slowly, like a memoir about our experiences and we can't camera kind of came up with a great idea of rather than it being kind of this narrative sort of story arc that it instead be standalone chapters that are like nonfiction. They're based in our experiences, but they, they speak to a larger issue nice. that's related to sex work. So whether it's sex worker safety, whether it's, you know, clients overcoming shame because they have religious trauma because they're recovering Catholics in Louisiana, like whatever it is, like, you know, that's another thing that um, myself as a writer and Cameron is a great like inspirer and muse <clears throat> and writer as well. Like that's a way that we can communicate this information to the world um, and, and start to shift attitudes because once you start shifting attitudes, that's when you get shifts in policy. Yeah. And get things like decriminalization, which makes everyone safer. I feel like, yeah, if you change minds and people, just like people that weren't receptive or didn't know about anything before, I feel like just like bringing light to things uh, changes the way people feel about it. And they're able to like look at something like objectively and be like, oh my God, I didn't know that this was, this is what this was, or this is like who sex workers are really anything and fucking just fucking change minds. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah. I mean, sex workers and or clients, like I think we're all equal people. It's like all we're doing is looking for connection. All we're doing is looking for some way to meet our mutual needs. And often the clients have much more financial capability than we do and or can invest in being able to support their experience but then they show up and we have a great time too like it's yeah. just about that and i feel like both clients and sex workers get written off as terrible people and they're actually just 
really good humans who actually know something about themselves, which means I need something in my life right now. I can invest in what I need for myself right now if I'm talking from the client perspective. And from the worker perspective, it's like, I know what I need in my life right now. I know what I'm willing to tolerate right now. I know what my boundaries are right now. And here is what I'm willing to accept right now. And there's somehow creates a synergy, right? Like between the client and the worker that says what is valuable to me is valuable to you. And then we meet each other and we cast aside all the ways in which we met, which might be money, which might be time, which might be hotel rooms, whatever. But like we cast that aside and then there's this space where we get to just be people together experiencing something that we might have never experienced together before and that is the beauty that is the beauty and that is also the shame of why it's unfortunate for it to be illegal yeah because we should be able to do that we should be able to do that thing it's literally helping people. <laughs> like, like, literally. Every fucking day. Like, that's how babies survive, is by being touched every single day. Yeah. And it's Just, also how adults survive every single day. <laughs> yeah. Someone's got, yeah. Someone's got to do it. And appreciate y'all for doing it. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, it's also, it's it. also not sacrificial. Like, it's also not sacrificial. Like we are not doing this work because we're like, Oh, we hope that we can help somebody feel better about themselves or feel better about their sexuality or feel better about either BDSM experience. We are, but a vessel and we have a lot of boundaries (laughs) and we just want to meet people in places that they want to be. That's that would be our biggest, biggest gratuitous experience is like that we meet each other exactly where we both needed to be. Hell yeah. That was great. (laughs) Contributing to each other's freedom and liberation. Yeah. Fucking Riley Cameron. I appreciate y'all coming on the podcast. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, we really appreciate you having us and like I'm glad that we got to be like real really real about not just sex work but like where it fits and how it's how it's evolving and how it's existing and contributing to like to things as they are. Yeah. You know? Like cuz things are really tumultuous right now and uncertain and there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of intensity, a lot of change. And none of this happens in a vacuum. I mean, this work is happening against this cultural, this macro cultural backdrop that we're all part of. And it has a really healing and important role to play. And we can't pretend that the outside world isn't happening. Yeah. And sometimes having a sex sex work appointment uh, means that maybe you get to pretend for an hour that that's not going on so that your nervous system can calm down. You know? Yeah. So if anyone's flying into Portland anytime soon. 
Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you want. <laughs> Fuck yeah. You want to plug some uh, social media uh, websites or where people can find you before we get out of here? Um, I would say our main uh, website is girlfriends uh, with an S experiencepdx.com that's where at the main homepage you can find tons of hot pictures of both of us and and bios and all the things Um, but at the bottom of that there's like a pretty simple screening information um, yeah like a submission booking form okay Uh, that would be the easiest way to get a hold of us if you were like, damn, I heard that podcast. And by the way, I'm flying to Portland next week. I want to be with them. That's the fastest way to do it. Um, we also have Twitters and Instagrams. You can find those links on our on the website as well. But um, my Twitter handle is Riley De La Croix one That's spelled R-I-L-E-Y. D E L A C R O I X and the number one and Cameron's is is Cameron C A M E R O N B P D X um both on Instagram and on Twitter. And my Instagram is just Riley Delacroix and Cameron's is Cam B P D X. Hell yeah. Well I appreciate y'all coming on the podcast. It's been awesome. Yeah, it's been lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for your work as well and supporting sex workers in the industry and getting the word out. We've really appreciated our time with you. Oh, oh, fuck yeah. Listeners, we'll be back later. That was my interview with Riley Delacroix and Cameron Beaumont. Riley, Cameron, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. That was so much fun. Listeners, they just plugged it. I will plug it again. You can find Riley on Twitter at Riley Delacroix one on Instagram at Riley Delacroix. You can find Cameron on Twitter at Cameron B PDX on Instagram at Cam B PDX. Their website, girlfriendsexperiencepdx.com. I will have links to all of those in the Libsyn page from this week. So make sure you hit that Libsyn page. Show them some love. As always, you can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, at FullServicePod. I am at Tank Funkadelic. If you enjoy the show, make sure you are following us on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Make sure you subscribe. If you could hit us with a five-star rating, write us a review. That would help us out so much. If you want to be on the podcast, if you want to hear anything talked about on the podcast, perhaps if you just want to write in, let us know how you're doing. Our email address, FullServicePod at gmail.com. Like I mentioned last week, Patreon is happening. It's dropping next Tuesday, November 24th. If you want to support the show, Patreon is a great way. We'll have exclusive content, exclusive interviews that we will not be able to hear just on the regular Tuesday episodes. It's behind a paywall, but hey, fucking subscribe. I will definitely plug it next week, and I'll have links to Patreon in the Libsyn page on our like link tree, so you'll be able to sign up that way if you want to support the show. But uh, this has been episode 62. I appreciate you being here. We will be back next Tuesday. I'm feeling a solo episode. Might be an interview. Follow us on Twitter to find out. But I hope you have a great week. I uh, <laughs> I feel like I always record these uh, interviews, or uh, not interviews, these uh, outro, intro and outros, and I feel like I never mention anything that's like happening in the outside world. Like, uh, the fucking election was, uh, like, I guess... 
fucking couple weeks ago. And I recorded on Monday. And then, like, Monday night, I'm like, oh, shit, there's an election happening tomorrow. I don't mention, I don't talk about shit at all. It's, <laughs> I feel like I'm in my own fucking bubble. And then I'm like, oh, I should probably say something. But, uh, oh, yeah, wasn't that election wild? <laughs> Who, I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yo, have a good week. I will see you on Tuesday. Fucking, hey, write a review. Fucking, that'd be, that'd be wonderful. I'll see you later. Peace. service.